Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Lord, we just pray that you would bless your word, that it would go forth in power in Christ's name. Amen. Well, for those of you who may not know, I'm Jeremy. I'm pastor for adult ministries here at Rosemont. Pastor Adam decided to go to Disney World, and so he and his family are enjoying a little bit of a vacation. So just pray for them for a time of refreshing Um, He just really gives his whole heart to this. And so it's great that he has an opportunity to get away and just celebrate his family, to refresh, be refreshed in the Lord. Um, So if you'll just be praying for him, I'm sure he would appreciate that. Well, we are going through um, the book of Acts. This is a series that Pastor Adam has uh, titled, Ordinary to Extraordinary. And and today we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 3, kind of focusing in on uh, verses 11, kind of to the end of that. Now, this study is our journey through Acts to see how God took an ordinary group of people and did extraordinary things through them. By the power of His Holy Spirit at work, the gospel going forth to the ends of the earth. And as I said back in April, when I preached on this uh, chapter 2, sometimes I fear that we read the book of Acts like it's just great history. And we, we, we want to celebrate the work of God, but we don't think that God could do the same kind of thing in and through us. But the truth is, and as we've seen in, the, in, in our study, the same Holy Spirit, the same God, the same Christ, the same gospel is in us that was in the early church. And we've seen that God can do great things right here, right now. It's the same God, so if we will just submit ourselves to Him, center our lives on the gospel, allow the Holy Spirit to empower us, God can do great things in our marriages, in our families, in our jobs, in our church, in this city. God can do great works. So with that in mind, let's turn our attention to Acts. Let's kind of review where we have come from so far. In Acts chapter 1, we see the resurrected Christ. He's appearing to the disciples over a, over a period of 40 days. He is teaching them about the kingdom. And he tells them that they are to stay in Jerusalem and to wait for the promise of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit. And before he ascends, he, he gives them this promise. It's kind of a thesis statement for all of Acts. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says this, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This was, a great, this was not a great military power. This was a missional power. This was a work of the Holy Spirit in and through the lives of the believers taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. 
And so we are told that after this they returned to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 1 verse 14 and all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Now there's a whole sermon in that statement. They were devoting themselves to prayer. And I would encourage you, if God is working that in your life, that you would get plugged in here in the prayer ministry, that you would allow God to use you in that. Or if you'll look in the pew in front of you, there is a prayer card. If something is burdened, feel that out. Every Wednesday night, we have a room full of people who are crying out for the Lord, to the Lord, asking Him to show grace, to show mercy, to bring healing, to open eyes. So if you have a burden, take some time, fill that card out, and allow us to pray over that. And then in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit descends on the believers as was promised. And they begin to proclaim, as we see in Acts chapter 2, verse 11, the mighty works of God in languages that they did not know before. See, it was Pentecost and people had come from all over the world to Jerusalem. And they're there and all of a sudden this group of disciples, these simple people begin to speak in their native tongues and they hear them proclaiming the mighty work of God. And as a result of this miracle, growth happens. Peter steps forward in front of the crowd and he proclaims Jesus as the Messiah and 3,000 people come to faith in a day. And then in Acts 2, 42, kind of to the end, we just see this picture of a church living in gospel community, a group of people committed to one another, devoted to Christ, to His Word, to prayer, to fellowship, to ministering to one another, and God blesses that, and it says that He added to their number daily those who were being saved. This group who committed to live life together in community for Christ and His glory. And then last week we came to Acts chapter 3 and we see Peter and John about 3 in the afternoon going to the temple and they encounter this man who has been lame since birth. This man who's about 40 years old, he was put at the temple every day and sat there and asked for alms from the worshipers who came in. And so he looks at Peter and John and he asks them for an alm. And Peter looks at the man. Now he doesn't pull the supermarket diversion, the Walmart diversion. How many of you have done that? You are walking and you, may, you see somebody maybe across the way and you know that you need to kind of maybe divert away. Because you didn't really get ready that day. Or you just don't have time. Or somebody's standing out front and it's another ball group and they're selling something. So you kind of, if you're like me, I always take my phone and be like, i got to call. Give the point. (laughs) But Peter doesn't do that. Peter engages this man and he looks at him and he is listening to the Spirit. And he says in Acts 3, 6, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, Rise and walk. And he takes the man by the hand and it says in Acts 3, 7, immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. There was no doubt of this miracle. In fact, it says that he began leaping and praising God. And all the people see this going on and so they gather around. Well, as I was kind of studying this verse, I was just kind of struck with the idea of this lame man's story. 
Daily sitting at the temple, dependent on other people for his needs. He sat there every day, so it's most assured, we can almost guarantee, that Jesus was in the temple when this man was there. And Jesus did not heal this man. Jesus, who could heal the lame, who could make the blind see, chose not to, in His perfect plan, heal this man. Do you think the man maybe heard the stories of Jesus and His power and wondered, why is He just walking by? Or maybe he doubted God or he he questioned God. Why have you allowed this? But we see in this man's life that the truest thing about him was not his lameness. It was not his disability. It was that God had a plan that far exceeded anything he could imagine. God was going to heal this man in his perfect timing. And when he did, it was used for his glory. He had a purpose that even he could not understand. All he could do was hear the name of Jesus and reach out and grab the hand that was offered to him and be healed. But his healing was not the focus. Yes, we celebrate it. Yes, that was amazing. But the truth is, the ultimate purpose was that later we see Peter proclaiming the gospel to a crowd of people, a series of events unfolding, and then later it says 5,000 men come to faith. That's just men. Add the women and the children plus the earlier group of 3,000. And through this work, 10,000 plus stronger in Jerusalem, glorifying the name of Jesus, ready to be an army to take the gospel forth. And I couldn't help but think that maybe there are some of you who just feel like Jesus is walking by you. Like everybody's passing you by and the depression is just getting heavy. The marital issues are just getting heavy. The problems and the debt that you are facing are just getting heavy. And the burdens are just heavy. But can you find hope in this man's story that maybe God is just allowing something that even you can't imagine for His glory? Can you find hope that He may be working out something that you just can't fathom at this point? And can you trust in Jesus? Can you look at me and hear this? I can't fix your problems, but Jesus can. And if He doesn't bring healing now, I can tell you by the authority of God's Word, by the truth of Scripture, that one day everything will be made new and right. And if He doesn't bring healing now, if He doesn't bring restoration in your life right now, guess what? One day all things will be made new. He will bring healing. You just have to trust in His name. Can you trust in His name today and lay aside whatever weight you brought into this building and just surrender it to Christ and His gospel? Well, that brings us to our text today in Acts chapter 3, verses 11 through 26. And we're going to read this, but I'm just going to read through verse 20. Verse 11. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at at, at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? 
The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate, when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, who you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Verse 17, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. This is the word of the Lord. As I was thinking through this passage, I was just kind of struck with this title, What Happens When We Focus on the Gospel? What happens when we focus on the Gospel, the good news of Jesus? And I believe there are four things that we see in this passage that happen. And the first is that when we focus on the Gospel, we seize opportunities to share the Gospel. Chapter 3, verses 11 through 12. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Think about Peter's story. Peter, the overzealous disciple, who was always kind of sticking his foot in his mouth, who was always kind of eagerly saying he was going to do something without fully understanding the depth of what he was saying. This Peter, in John uh, 13, verse 37, after Jesus has washed the disciples' feet and tells them that he is going to go away and where he's going, that they cannot go with him at this time, looks at Jesus and says, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. But Jesus doesn't need Peter to lay down his life for him. He needs him to listen. And so Jesus says to Peter, Will you lay down your life for me? The rooster will not crow before you have denied me three times. And then we read in John 18 where Peter is confronted by a little servant girl. And what does he do but deny Jesus? But now, this is not the truth, this is not the ultimate truth, this is not the ultimate reality of who Peter is, because now Peter has been transformed by the gospel, he's been filled with the Spirit, he's seen the resurrected Christ, and he's been changed by His grace and His mercy. And he steps forward, and he boldly proclaims the gospel. He understands what God has called him to do, that he is to proclaim the name of Jesus, that he is to make disciples, that he is to have the power of the Spirit working in him so that the gospel will go forth. He understands the weight of Romans 10, 13-17, which says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in Him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? 
Verse 17, and so faith comes from a hearing, and hearing from the Word of God. We as followers of Jesus have a weight that we carry around, that we are to share, and that is the gospel. And it's the weight of Jesus, and what does he say? My burden is easy, it's light. We just have to proclaim it. Because it's the good news. It's the the power of salvation. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation for anyone who believes. So we, if we focus our lives on the gospel, we'll share the gospel. So not only will we share the gospel, but number two, we will focus on the Lord and not ourselves. Verse 12, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power and piety we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified His servant Jesus. And then skip down to 16, And His name, by faith in His name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Peter says this is not about us. This is not something that we did. You are focusing on the wrong thing. This is just two simple fishermen. We do not have power or piety in and of ourselves. This is the work of God. And it is about Him. You're concentrating on the wrong place. Do not look to us. Peter did not use this opportunity to establish his evangelistic ministry. To call the masses to come and follow and to get money. He didn't use this as an opportunity to take this lame man and put him on a stage and hold his crutch up and let him testify as to the amazingness of what Peter has done. No, instead, he focuses on the Lord. This is the Lord's work alone. It is an opportunity for Peter to magnify and proclaim the name of Jesus. And when we focus on the gospel, that's what we do. We don't magnify and proclaim ourselves. We magnify His name. But we don't focus on a God that's just kind of generally there. This is a very specific God. This is a God of history. This is a God who has been working out a redemptive history since the beginning that has a story and it's personal. He's involved because He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers. He's the God who has revealed Himself. He is the covenant-promising God who says that He will bless all the nations of the earth through the seed of Abraham. Verse 25, You are the sons of the prophet and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. This is the God who revealed Himself on Mount Sinai as I am. This is the God who said in verse 22, as we see, that He would send one to deliver the people from destruction. And this one is named Jesus, whose name means the Lord is salvation. This Jesus, who we read in John 1, is in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was nothing 
was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the Word, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. The glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace. The incarnate Word of God who has come to redeem us. In this passage, ten separate times, Peter points to direct reference to Jesus as the Christ. This Jesus who we are to emulate, who though He existed in very nature God, in very form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, to be held onto. But He emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. When we focus on the Gospel... We focus on the Lord and we stand in awe of who He is. I love the, the John Piper's book, Don't Waste Your Life, because he has this illustration and I think it applies to this, where if we go to the Grand Canyon and we stand there and we start singing our praises, people would think we were crazy. Because when you go to the Grand Canyon, you go to stand in awe. You go to be amazed and kind of overshadowed by the immensity of it. And when we focus on the gospel, we are overshadowed by the immensity of who God is. This God who has redeemed us. Who wants to have a covenant relationship with us. So when we focus on the gospel, we not only seize the opportunity to share the gospel, we not only focus on the Lord, but we share the truth in love, without compromise. Acts Acts 3, uh, verse 13. This Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate, when he had decided to release him, but you denied the Holy and Righteous One, and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Peter doesn't hold back at this moment. This is not a moment to play coy, but he speaks the truth in love. I don't know if any of you saw the video, but about 10 years ago, maybe a little less, um, Penn Gillette, he is uh, the second member, the first member of the duo Penn and Teller. He's a a magician. And Penn is an outspoken atheist. In fact, he will debate uh, people who believe in the existence of God often. Well, he did this video blog that he kind of sent to his followers. And on this occasion, he had just finished a show. And usually after the show, what they do is they allow people to kind of come and meet them and sign autographs. Well, he looked off to the side and there was this big man just kind of hovering. And so the man approaches him. And actually the man had participated. He'd been called on stage the night before. And he just, he just talks about this man. He's real sincere. He was real complimentary. It wasn't in a, in a fake way, but it was just, he, he really was just a sincere guy. You could see in his eyes that he, he really was just engaging and looked me in the eyes. Well, this man then pulls out a Gideon New Testament in his pocket that he had written a note in, and he gives it to Penn. And Penn just says, you know, th- this man was just sincere. It was really nice. But he says something in that video that should haunt us as believers. Penn says, I have always said I do not respect people. I do not respect people 
who do not proselytize. That means share their faith. If you believe there is a heaven and a hell and you believe that there are people who are going to hell or not receiving eternal life and you say, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it just might get a little socially awkward. He said, how much do you have to hate someone to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate someone to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them about it? He said, if, if I knew that a truck was bearing down on you and you didn't believe it, it wouldn't matter. Before the moment of impact, I would tackle you. He said, so I respect people who actually share because at least they're sharing because they believe it. But how many times do we just shudder back? And then Peter kind of shares this series of paradoxes that Jesus was a servant who came to serve, yet they delivered him over. But now... God is exalting him. That he was utterly separate, that he was holy, that he was righteous and innocent, yet they wanted to have a murderer released to them, but now they, he, they are offered salvation through him. That he is the author of life, yet you crucified him, but God raised him from the dead and is giving new life through him. And so he, he conveys to the people that their guilt is enormous. They have delivered him over. They have denied him. They have killed him. But remember Peter's story. Peter had denied Jesus. What is the difference? The gospel. The gospel had transformed a man who shuddered at a servant girl to now proclaim the glories of this Christ whom he had seen face to face. And not only was their guilt enormous, our guilt is enormous. Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Romans 3.23, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Do you know what the word all means in Greek? All. The wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23 But this message is loving. It's loving in the fact that it's truthful. It's not passive. Peter had denied him, but now he is proclaiming him. And some feel that you cannot share the gospel, maybe because your sin is just too great. But remember Peter's story. Remember Paul's story who persecuted the church, yet they proclaimed the gospel. Why? Because their lives had been overshadowed by the cross of Christ. Or maybe you just think that you're not smart enough. Somebody might ask a question that you don't understand. Do you believe 1 Corinthians 1, 18? For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For many of you were not, let's see, but God chose the foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring nothing, things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that it is written, let the one who boasts, 
Boast in the Lord. When you're sharing the gospel, just boast in the Lord. Don't worry about the questions. I don't get concerned when I'm talking about my wife of saying, well, he might ask me a question, I don't know. I just boast about her. Do you know why? It's an overflow of love. It's an overflow of a covenant relationship that we have. So not only do they seize opportunities to share the gospel, not only do we focus on the Lord and not ourselves, not only do we speak the truth in love without compromise, but we call people to repentance and faith in Jesus. Overseas, we call this drawing the net. We cast the net of the gospel and we draw it back. Verse 17, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that His Christ would suffer, He thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets long ago. God having raised up His servant, verse 26, God having raised up His servant, sent Him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. The amazing thing is despite their ignorance, God is working something miraculous. He is doing something that, that even they could not stop. That this was God's plan all the time. And we see this, the power of, of a conjunction of kind of this transitional phrase in verse 18 where it says, But. Their ignorance did not stop God's plan. It was all a part of it. 700 years before, God had spoke through the prophet Isaiah that in Isaiah 53, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, but we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Peter calls them to faith in Christ. He calls them to repent of their sin and turn to Jesus. And we see three benefits of this repenting and this turning. The first is verse 19, that your sins may be blotted out. Now this is a Greek term because then they used ink that did not have acid in it so it didn't stick to the paper. So you could wash it off of a papyrus which was expensive to make. And so what he is saying that our sins can be washed off. Turn with me to Colossians um, chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. Now, that, um, that uh, canceling of the debt, the certificate of debt, that was something that occurred then. When somebody was proven uh, guilty of a crime, what the judge did was he took something and he wrote that crime on the paper, and if they were in jail, they stuck it above the jail cell. 
And that was so anyone who came knew why that person had been condemned or imprisoned. And if someone was crucified, they took that document and they nailed it to the cross. And if you will remember, what did they write above Jesus? King of the Jews. Because that was what he had been accused of. Well, when someone paid their debt, that document was taken down and taken to the judge. And the judge would inquire as to had they paid their debt. He would make sure that their debt was paid. And if they had, what he did is he either wiped that away or he wrote across it a phrase, Tetelestai. It means paid in full. And so if somebody came and they said, hey, weren't you the guy who, who stole that? And they could say, yes, but here's, I paid my debt. Now if it was somebody who was crucified, that document was given to the family. And that judge would write, Tetelestai, paid in full full. Well, if you will remember, it says that Jesus in Colossians 2 took our certificate of debt and nailed it to the cross. Now, when Jesus was crucified, what were the final words that he said? It is finished. Do you know what that word is in Greek? Petelestai. Tetelestai, paid in full by the judge. Our sins are blotted out by his redemptive work. It is paid. Satan, bring your, condemn, bring your accusations against me, against me that I am a sinner. And you are right, but guess what? Look at the cross. Here it is, paid in full. By the judge. When we put our faith, when we repent and turn, we, our sins are forgiven. But not only are our sins forgiven and blotted out, but it says that times of refreshing in the presence of the Lord may come. And then lastly, that we will receive a, a hope. It says... Uh, that times of refreshing may come. Repent therefore and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send the Christ appointed to you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for the restoration of all things about which God spoke. When we repent, when we turn, our sins are blotted out, we receive refreshment for our soul, and we receive a hope that is eternal. In Revelation chapter 21, here's the picture of us with Christ in His presence. Revelation 21, 
Verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. And He will wipe away every tear, the same phrase of wiping away our sins. He will wipe away every tear from their eye and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Did you carry something into this room that is just weighing you down? Can you find a hope in repentance and faith in Christ? Are you carrying around the weight of your own sin, thinking that you can be your own Savior, but you know you can't? Will you trust in the great name of Jesus? Will you celebrate His great work on the cross? Because it says if we will repent and believe, our sins will be forgiven... We will receive refreshment for our souls and we will receive an eternal hope that is promised through Him. Have you repented? Have you turned to Him in faith? Are you carrying something that you just need to surrender to lay at His feet? Well, as the musicians come, I want you just to focus and ask the Lord, what are you showing me? Maybe you've never put your faith in Christ and He is calling you to repent and turn to Jesus. Or maybe you are burdened and carrying something heavy and He is calling you to find hope in the gospel of Jesus to celebrate the wonderful, powerful name of Jesus. If that's you, then come and lay your burdens down at His feet and allow His cross to overshadow even the depths and the darkness of your own soul. If you've never put your faith in Christ, Let today be the day of salvation because His redemption is perfect and it is finished. And you can receive that gift by faith. So as we sing, if you need someone to pray with you, come forward and we will be happy to pray with you. If you want to put your faith in Christ, let this be the day that you surrender everything to Him. Father, we just ask that You would work, that You would move by the power of Your Spirit and for Your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.